Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of Trinity Church PCA in Collierville, Tennessee, right outside of Memphis. For more information about our church, you can visit our website, missioncollierville.org. Good morning, Trinity. Our text that we'll consider together this morning comes from Mark chapter 9. If you will turn in or turn on your Bibles to Mark chapter 9, we'll start in verse 30. Because this is the word of of our Lord speaking to us this morning. Would you stand with me as we read this out of respect and reverence for him? So Mark chapter 9, verses 30 to 37. They went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, And they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. And they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and he called the twelve. And he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks indeed. You may be seated. All right, so this section of Mark where we are this morning, this is in the middle section of the book of Mark, how he has it divided up. In this middle section, Mark is most interested in communicating what Jesus was teaching to his disciples. So Jesus is focusing now in on his disciples, on these groups of people that are following him, and particularly on the 12 apostles that he is teaching. And so he's specifically in this section getting away from the crowds of people so that he can focus in on these people in particular. He wants to make sure that they understand this message, this lesson that he is about to give them. So he gets away from the crowd. He's gathering these people together. And this is also the central, the middle time, time number two out of three total, where Jesus explicitly states to these disciples that, hey, I am going to die. There's no parable. There's no anything you have to look between the lines and understand with special insight. Jesus plainly says, I will die and I will rise again. So we're in the very middle of this section today. So here's what I want to look at. There are three points that we'll consider about this this morning. Number one, what does it mean to die? Number two, what does it mean to live? And then lastly, what does this have to do with fishing? What does it mean to die, to live, and what does this have to do with fishing? So let's start from the front. What does this mean? What does it mean to die right here? So we need to remember where Jesus has just previously been in the Gospel of Mark. What has Jesus just been doing. So last week, a couple weeks ago, Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration. 
So a smaller group of his disciples go up with him to the top of this mountain, and Jesus becomes transfigured. He starts glowing intensely white. We have all of the old, or we have a few of the Old Testament prophets that show up with him. We have the voice of God from the cloud. Jesus is literally physically embodying this glory and divine essence and holiness of God here on earth. So Jesus shows himself who he is. And then after that, Jesus goes down. And the people that Jesus has given the power and authority to do healing aren't doing it very well. So Jesus has to, again, step in and be the one who is always going to fix things and who is always able to make things right, even when his disciples aren't. So it's this Jesus, this divine, glowing, always right, able to heal Jesus, who is going to die. And we're also supposed to pick up our cross and follow after him and die. So remember Peter's response the last time that Jesus explicitly told them that he was going to die. Peter says, no, Jesus, you've got this whole situation all wrong. You're not going to die. That's not how the kingdom of God becomes established on earth. You are not going to die. You've got this wrong. That's not how you need to do it. That's not going to be good for us. That's not going to be good for the kingdom of God. That's not how things work around here, Jesus. You should have run this by me first. And Jesus turns to Peter and says, get behind me, Satan, for Peter's selfishness and wanting things to go his way. So perhaps this is why they are afraid to ask Jesus what he means when he says this a second time, fearing a rebuke for themselves, or possibly they just don't want to hear Jesus say what they're starting to finally know and understand, that he will die, and that we are called to do the same. So death can be a scary thing for many people. And it's because, among other things, it's something that we don't control. We have no control over this. James, in chapter 4, writes, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. We don't like to not be in control of situations, to be utterly helpless, to be reliant on anyone or anything other than ourselves and our gumption and our hard work and our will for our existence and for our status and for our livelihood even for our happiness. So maybe this is why the disciples have their next conversation that they have with one another. So in verse 33, and they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. So if Jesus is going to die then who is going to be in charge moving forward? What's our chain of command here? Who is going to be the vice president to Jesus's presidency? But in asking these questions, the disciples prove that they 
have completely missed the second half of what Jesus' statement was. Yes, he will die, but he will rise and live. So let's look at that. What does it mean to live then in this kingdom that Jesus is bringing about? Well, Jesus clarifies in verse 35 what this looks like to live. So if we're called to die, what does it mean to live? Verse 35, and he sat down and he called the 12 and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. So there's two things here. Jesus calls us to be last and a servant. Now, these are two distinct things. Don't lump these together. So last, first, we must be last. So what does that mean? To be last, you put others in front of yourself. You are at the end of the line. You count the thoughts and the emotional well-being, the goodwill, the health of other people before you look at yourself and what would be good for your situation. Now, note, this is not a call to never care for yourself. Jesus himself escapes from the crowds of people that he is ministering to throughout his time in public ministry to be alone, to pray, to be just with a small group of people, to recharge his batteries. So this is not a call to never take care of yourself. But remember who Jesus is talking to when he says this. He's talking to his own disciples who are so often thinking and acting the way that we naturally think and act. These people have become more concerned with their status and who is the greatest, who's going to take over when Jesus leaves. They're more concerned with that than with following Jesus and with listening to him and moving forward in the kingdom the way that he is bringing it about. They're more worried about the what is this going to do for me than how is this going to show the world Jesus that they need. So we're called to be last, to put others first. We're also called to be a servant, not to only put other people first, but also to serve them while they are first. So while these people are in front of you, don't just put them there, serve them while they are there. This is completely upside down. To be of first importance, you must take care of other people. You must serve everyone around you. To put not only the needs of these other people first, but to actively care for and seek their well-being. To make your most important work the work of caring for other people. A few years ago, I always really looked forward to Sunday nights, and you could pretty faithfully find me every Sunday night sitting on my couch, turning on PBS, because a new episode of Downton Abbey was about to come on. Lindsay graciously pretended to like most of the episodes sometimes when we were watching this. So if you're not familiar with Downton Abbey, it's a story of the Crawley family in England during the early 1900s, and everything about their life is grand. They are a noble family. They have this large estate that they care for. Their house is grand. The way that they dress and the cars that they have other people drive them around in are grand. The meals are grand. Everything about 
this family and their situation is as over the top and different from Greenwood, Mississippi as it could possibly be. And I was just fascinated with just the different and the extravagance that these people lived with. In the opening scene of episode one, we see one young girl named Daisy opening up the house. So she's opening the the blinds, the shutters. She's cleaning up from the night before. She's lighting the fire. She's cleaning the fireplaces, picking everything up. She's young. She's a very small, slight girl. She's covered in dirt and soot. She's doing all the dirty work so that even the other servants don't have to dirty themselves, and certainly not the Lord and Lady and the family of the house. They need to look prim and proper and buttoned up and not concerned with such menial tasks. They are only concerned with the important work of running the estate and picking out the perfect wine for dinner that night. And so she's at the very, very, very bottom of this social hierarchy, serving even the other servants there. And this, Daisy, is who Jesus says that we should act like, readily serving others, doing the dirty work. This is how we are to be of first importance. If we are going to be the Lord and Lady of the house in the kingdom of God, it looks much more like a young, dirty girl cleaning up after everyone than it does like the Crawley family. So if we are to be in this kingdom, if we seek after importance, how we look in this situation doesn't matter. We are to serve others, to be last of all, to put them in front of you and serve them. And if those things weren't difficult and shocking enough, Jesus drives home the of all part in his next illustration. So we are to be last and servant of all. Verse 36, Jesus takes a child and puts him in the midst of them and taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives not me, but him who sent me. Okay, many of you are parents. And if you're not, you can borrow mine for a moment for this illustration. You've seen them running around with everyone else after this. So I want you to think of your children or you can borrow mine for a second. Okay, think about your children. And I want you to think about how perfect and holy and righteous and selfless and without sin they all automatically are until they become adults. Right? So you can picture my kids if you need help with this. No, this is not the situation at all. So don't emulate the character of a child. That's not what Jesus is doing by bringing this child in the midst of them. Don't emulate their character, but rather emulate their status, especially during the first century. But even now, children, when they are born, are utterly helpless. They are reliant on someone else to care for every need they have. And even as they grow up, they are still under the care of someone else most hours of the day. They are under the authority of someone else, their parents or their teachers while they're at school. They don't make most of the decisions about their lives, like where to go to school, what am I going to eat for lunch or dinner today, whether or not I want to shower or brush my teeth. 
These decisions aren't made by your children. And especially in the first century, children were at the very bottom of the social pecking order. They have no rights or responsibilities. They make no important decisions, even for themselves. And Jesus says that we are to be last and servant before these people, not just other disciples, not just their peers, the other believers, the people that they are following around with, the people that are in their profession, whatever their job is, their social class. You are not just to be last and servant before these people. You are to be last and servant for someone as insignificant as a child. Not just for your peers. Not just for the people that if you do a favor for them, they'll do a favor for you. Not just for the people that if, if I invite you to my party and you can have some cool Snapchats about all of that, then you'll invite me to your party. It's not just for the people that can repay your favors, but it's specifically for the people who could never repay your favors. Specifically for the people that can never repay the kindness that you show them. These are the people who, are, who you are to put first in front of you and to serve readily. And when you have a community of people who are constantly trying to outdo one another with the amount of love and grace and service and self-sacrificing like this, that is a beautiful relationship. That is a beautiful community of people. That is a beautiful kingdom that we are invited to be a part of. So today, I encourage you, do this. Put others First, put yourself last. Serve other people. Husbands, do this for your wives this afternoon, not because they deserve it, but because the one who does deserve it has commanded you to. Wives, likewise, love your husbands. Put them first. Sacrifice. Outdo one another in sacrificing what you want for the other person, not because your husbands deserve it or they are perfect in any way but because the one who is perfect in every way has commanded you to do this. Children, students, you must do this, not because your parents deserve your respect, not because your parents are perfect, but because when you are on the playground and you include someone who is a social outsider at your school, or you're at a football game and you choose to show kindness and love for people that you would usually not associate with, you are doing what God and what Jesus has done for you. Because who among us has not been an enemy of God while Jesus came to save us? So Christ died for us while we were sinners but then he rose and lives and invites us to live in this same way with him. So what does this have to do with fishing at all? So the disciples, when they question and they argue with one another about who is the greatest, who's going to be the next in line, who's going to be in charge, this is a completely irrelevant question to what Jesus is bringing about to this kingdom of God that Jesus is inaugurating. 
This is not what they have been recruited to do. What have they been recruited to do? Here's how we'll finish. Very back at the, at the beginning of Mark, in chapter 1, Jesus says to these same disciples, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. These disciples are called to be fishermen. Now here's how fishing works. Usually, you have some sort of bait on the end of your line and you put it in the water and you hope that something bites it. Now generally, you can say I will fish with this type of bait in this type of water, in this time of year, in this place, and I kind of hope this kind of fish will bite, but you really you have no idea what's going to bite the other end of your line when you are fishing. You are fishing hoping that something will bite the end of your line. First century fishermen that Jesus is talking to here have even less control because they are fishing with nets. They have huge nets that they pull behind or alongside their boat, and they catch anything that happens to be swimming by when they are there. They are not selective. You can't only go fishing for this. Sure, you might say if we fish here this deep, you might get mostly this type of fish, but you are going to just get a haul of fish, whatever happens to be there. And this is what Jesus is calling them to do, to be fishermen. This is what Jesus is calling you and I to do as well, to be fishermen and to fish. We are called to be fishers of humanity, of all humanity. It is not our job to cull fish out for God and to say, these are the fish that I want to fish for for God. These are the types of fish that God will be most happy with, and these are the kinds of fish that I am most happy catching. We are called to be fishers of humanity. We're not called to pick which fish to keep and which ones to throw away. It's because when we do that, we're like Jonah, who also had a run in with a fish. When we try to reserve our favor and our efforts and even reserve God's grace for only a certain group of people, but not for that group of people. So if you are in God's family this morning, you have been called to die to your selfishness, but also to live in this upside-down, beautiful kingdom of God. Also to start fishing. You can consider that an invitation this morning. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, you have shown such love and grace and kindness in fishing us while we were dead on the seafloor and bringing us back to life to be a part of your kingdom. Father God, would you bless the efforts of this church and its people as we seek to go out and be faithful fishermen in Carterville and Germantown. God, I pray that you would strengthen our nets, that fish without number would be brought into your kingdom through our efforts. Would you be pleased with doing that through us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.